The following episode of Fofop is rated MA. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deek speaking. Hello and welcome to Fove Up. I'm Charlie Clawson and my guest this week is actor Alex Williams. You might know him as the better looking Julian Assange or the better looking Kurt Pengilly. Uh, Alex, at our 10-year anniversary for uh, TOEFOP last year, you wrote a very sweet post online where you said that you'd always thought you'd be a great guest on Philosophy, but then if you're honest with yourself, you thought you'd be more of a TOEFOP guest, and then you ended up on Two Guys, One Cup. Well, welcome to FOFOP. <laughs> I feel like you're working yeah. your way. You started at the bottom, and now you're working your way up the food chain. It's only two started more. from the bottom. Yeah. Now I'm here, and I've got a couple more to go, <laughs> and then right. I'm in. I'm in the. I'm in the top echelon. I just feel like I need to actually achieve something to be on Philosophy. I, uh, I well, I got on Philosophy when it was a, a pilot program. Like, I mean, there's no way I could get on Philosophy now. I think like Will had me on in the first five apps when he was trying to work out what the show was, and now it's just like you know top flight thinkers and artists and and intellectuals. There's no way I'm getting back on Philosophy, and I bloody Run half of tofop.com. <laughs> it's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I got no chance of getting on that show, but that's okay. I feel like I feel like I'm more at home. I'm more at home in a fofop kind of uh, fofop to two guys one cup well, of verse. Let's let's well, let's good. just do a little warm up. Let's uh, pretend like I'm the producer on Willosophy that has to do not that this happens, but you know, like on talk shows and stuff, they'll do a pre interview sure, sure. and they'll get some stories that they can then feed to the host. So let's say I'm Willosophy's producer. And uh, I'm doing the pre-interview, so I want to feed Will some information. So um, mm. what would you say is your philosophy, Alex? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, my philosophy. Sorry, I just put on a faux British accent. Yeah, so um, I think it's just about doing everything at the best of your abilities at all times. Um, no, I, I mean, I honestly, I've thought about it. I've thought about it. I've done it in my head. I've gone, uh, what would yeah. you say? Nothing. Nothing. I've got. I've got nothing to really say that's not said already by you know other people far more eloquently. Yeah, um, I seem on to remember. Show, kind of like, what do I? What am I going to add here? Nothing. I mean, so, I, I can't remember exactly what my philosophy was, but I had put thought into it, mm. and then I think my memory of it, and this may be just like you know my own kind of um, low self esteem, whatever. But my memory of me <laughs> delivering my big my pearl of wisdom was for was Will hearing it. And then going, you know what I actually think your philosophy is? Yeah, and then steering me in completely. And I was like, what? So uh, that doing thing, so, yeah. I can't even remember yeah. what it was. I think it was some lame-ass kind of fairly generic thing. Not like rich for the stars or something. <laughs> but it was along the lines of, it was a cliche. I think it was, I think it was bite off more than you can chew and chew like mad. And this was at a stage where I was like wholly unemployed and chewing nothing at all. <laughs> It's funny as an actor, you get a few moments like that where sometimes you're like, man, you know, just take every opportunity and, you know, always say yes and, and blah, blah, blah. And then other, at other times you're just like, life is pain and you will get through, you know, like it's just kind of, I go through big peaks and troughs with, you know, what, what gets me out of bed and what, you know, motivates me to keep doing it in the first place. So yeah, I'm not sure. I think it just depends on the week. 
you got me as to to how positive I was feeling. I think. Well, how has this last eighteen months? I mean, look, this last eighteen months has been terrible. That's a, that's a dumb question. But what personally has it been like? For you, did you have work that was on the offering that, that went away? Um, you know, to take me into what the last 18 months has been like for you as an actor. Yeah, so I kind of, I did a couple of seasons of The Heights on ABC mm. um, in the two years leading up to the pandemic. So, you know, it's always kind of good to get, you know, match fit when you're mm. acting and on set. And those were 30 episode seasons. And yeah, I was feeling pretty good about the, the work I was doing. And then it sort of just all shut down. And um, yeah, obviously, that I think it's been tough for, tough for everyone. I got really lucky and um, I'd been hunting for like a voiceover agent for a long time because I needed to make sure that these nasal pipes were heard as much as possible throughout the <laughs> stream. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll get, try and get a voiceover agent. And I worked for like a year to, to really push in because it's a hard industry to get into. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, how good you are. It's just, it's just about how much money you bring in really. Mm. And, um, and I, I got, I signed with this voiceover agent, um, maybe two to three weeks before the pandemic like hit, hit. Um, so that has sort of given me an avenue where I can, you know, work and do things that still use my skills, but you know, you're not on set every day. You're not, I barely, people were barely auditioning through this through the pandemic. So it, it, it was pretty painful, but at the same time, you know, things pop up, you get creative and you do stuff. There's no kind of, there's no point. Every time I wallow about it, I got, I just get guilty because, you know, someone else has got it worse sort of thing. Yeah. I'm, I, feel, I feel the same. Like, I, and I have been very fortunate, you know, like I've managed to basically sidestep the worst of the lockdowns wherever mm. they, they, they've been, you know, even earlier this year I was in, Melbourne in, I think it was they had their first, well, they're not their first, they're like fourth or their fifth lockdown in, in March or April. And I literally got out three hours before, you know, they said the 6 p.m. <laughs> cut off and I got out. And then, um, you know, we moved to the Northern Rivers at the end of last year, but we still were, had an apartment that we were subletting. And then we decided to let that go. And I went back down to Sydney and was packing up. And you know how that outbreak all started in the eastern <laughs> suburbs. That's where the apartment was. And so I packed all that up, literally again, the day of the lockdown, yeah. got, like, got, on, got to the airport and flew out, had to do two weeks home quarantine and get tested and all that kind of stuff. And then we, um, Jem, I was going to be shooting a commercial in Perth. Jem was going to be doing a, a job in Melbourne, then another job in Perth. It just worked out coincidentally. We'll be both in Perth at the same time. And she was read the tea leaves and was like, because oh, it's spreading out of Sydney, I think New South Wales. And at that stage where we live was only an orange zone. So, you know, we felt that we could still travel. And, uh, but Jem was very like alert and was like, we need to get across to Queensland so we can actually fly out if New South mm. Wales goes into lockdown. And so we drove across the border. It's only like, you know, 40 minutes to get to Gold Coast Airport, jumped on a plane, flew to Melbourne. And in that time being in the air, all of New South Wales went into lockdown. And we thought because we had, been in an orange zone when it was an orange zone when we left that when we landed would be fine but no it turns out that they backdate it <laughs> so yeah we yeah. and it was full on man like i didn't like i ha i haven't had to experience that where you like land at the airport there was like dudes dude in hazmat suits and security and police and oh, wow. they literally stopped us and you know they, they actually were once they realized they must have a lot of like dodgy dudes or and dudettes 
(laughs) 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 trying to, you know, work the system or, or, or lie. And when, because we were just very upfront because we, we didn't actually know we'd done anything wrong. And so they're actually very nice. But our two options were to do hotel quarantine in Melbourne, which thank God in retrospect we didn't do because we would still be there now, or um, go back to, to Queensland. And like when you've got like an 18-month-old, you're not doing, you're doing no. to avoid hotel quarantine. But then getting back to Queensland was really hard because there was no flights back to the Gold Coast. We had to wait at the airport for eight hours to get on a flight to Brisbane, land in Brisbane, then hire a car and drive back to the Gold Coast to pick up our car. And then we stayed in Queensland. And then a week after that, Gold Coast uh, or Queensland goes into lockdown, Brisbane and and the Gold Coast. But again, it was only kind of like just those short weeks. So I can't imagine what it's been like for you guys down there. Yeah, it's. I think it's one thing. I'm very thankful that I haven't. You know, I flew back to Perth uh, for a week early this year. Mm-hmm. Must have been. Um, and for that one week, that was the week that COVID had. Um, they had an outbreak in Perth, so yeah. <laughs> I flew over there for a week and was in lockdown for five days, and then had like one. Oh, that's night right. I remember you texting me. Flew back. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I was like, Perth of all places, <laughs> Perth with the lock. Anyway, but um, yeah, I'm kind of thankful I haven't had to do any of the um the hotel lockdowns just yet um because even just doing it in in our apartment in sydney i like it i'm a i'm a pretty active person and uh you know once you take the gym away and you take um i've had a a kind of a long-term injury um on my ankle so i can't run either and um so i've just been rehabbing for a year and a surgery and it's just been this constant thing of not being able to like get energy out mm. of my body as well so yeah it's it's been tough i think for some personalities you you just you just got to get through it like my girlfriend's fine like she's pretty happy with just this just chilling and um you know being you know just at home and and that kind of life while i'm i'm a pretty social social person so mm. i'm like anything to get out yeah it's like when you texted me going, you want to do TOEFOP? I reckon I, I, I said yes within about 13 <laughs> seconds. Because that's the other thing is I'm so on my phone all the time yeah. and I'm trying to get off it, but because it's just an escape and it's like right there and I'm like, okay, blah, 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 blah. Like I'm getting into things that, um, you know, I just don't care about, but I'm just because they're on my feed. Do you find? And you just kind of go in these deep dives. Do you find that it's like you were de- you're taking in more information, but it's kind of... It's more junk food, like trash. I'm not (laughs) like, I have not, there's so much great TV getting made at the moment and there's movies coming straight to streaming and stuff. And I'm not watching any of them, you Mm. know, I'm fucking watching like, you know, some, some dude on his, like in his YouTube studio, like. Uh, talking about like why <laughs> Jack Steele got robbed at the Brownlow, you know, <laughs> it's like some yeah. dude with my. I started watching. Um, I started watching people open NBA cards <laughs> on Instagram Live. I don't collect NBA cards. I've yeah. got no interest in it, but it's quite exciting when they're opening the packs and all, you know, getting excited about it. And I'm like, oh yeah, kind of cool. And then I found myself buying like spots in these nba breaks and i'm like what am i doing yeah, this is just funny, pure it? boredom it's it's insidious and it's funny how like i think that with the like especially with twitter and stuff that i found myself because for a while when the pandemic sort of kicked off and you know we did that sort of first lockdown in sydney at the start of last year you know i was like oh this is 
I know the warning signs for me. So I'm just going to like, I'm just going to delete everything off my phone and I'm just going to concentrate mm. on like doing the one hour of exercise and stuff. And then, but I'm like a junkie who was sober for six months. And then when I hit it back, when I go back, I hit it real hard. <laughs> like I hit yeah. it real hard. And, and it's just that thing too of, I find myself, and this is, you know, this is nothing new, but just that my willingness to get sucked into like, uh, like dramas on Twitter. Like I don't even have a dog in the fight, but I'll see yeah. some conflict. There's like, there's a bunch of people I follow in who I guess they're like Australian entertainers or media commentators or right. just, a, they work in entertainment media and stuff that I, I, I recognize that they're all friends. They all, you know, they probably work together, but they all know each other socially. I've just made the links and, you know, I, I watch, I, like, I know the ins and outs of their relationships. And then, like, when one of them gets slagged by someone from the other side, they all jump in. I'm like, oh, you know, I get really excited. And the other day I was, like, I was, I was getting all wound up because, like, oh, I, I need to know what the next chapter of this fucking conflict is. Like, someone just got flamed. And, and then I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, yeah. what are you doing? It's you like Twitter soapies. Totally. It's, like it's Twitter, Twitter soapies. And, right. it, and it sort of extends to other, you know, like, there's this whole world of YouTubers out there that, especially in America where everything is so partisan and it's so divided along left and right lines. Like if yeah. you wanted to, like there are, I, I mean, I like professional wrestling and I realize what this is and it's, it's what professional wrestling does, which is like, it's real broad strokes of factions. Here's the good guys. Here's the bad guys. And then like you say, the soap opera drama of well, what's that person done to that person. And mm. so, Again, I sort of get wound up. Do you know who Stephen Crowder is? Stephen uh, Crowder is like this, just like super douchey right wing guy who's like very transphobic. Well, very, that's why I don't know. <laughs> very, yeah, very homophobic, anti-immigrant, loves Trump, all this kind of stuff. And he's sort of like, he's kind of, uh, his, his whole shtick is that, you know, he's a real man's man. And like he wears oh, cool. gun holsters when he does his YouTube yeah, cool. show and stuff like that because he says he wants to promote like responsible gun ownership. I've got mine stuff. right here actually. <laughs> yeah, right. So anyway, he's a massive douchebag and everyone likes to make fun of him. And then there's this real nerdy dude uh, called Sam Cedar who's on this YouTube show called The Majority Report, which is a bit more of a kind of lefty, but a bit more intellectual analysis of the news. So anyway, I'm just giving you all this backstory just so you understand where I'm at. So Sam Cedar is this like intellectual. Steve Crowder is this kind of like, you know, blokey man's man, right wing kind of guy. And uh, Stephen Crowder sort of made his name by going to college campuses in America and doing these things called Change My Mind, where mm. he would basically confront some first or second year liberal arts student and, you know, um, say, you know, this is why socialism is bad. Change my mind. You know, this is why, you know, trans people are mentally ill. Change my mind. And so he's really good at beating like first year university students in a debate, right? <laughs> but he never takes on anyone of, you know, an equal standing or even more. So Sam Cedar has been saying for years, like, debate me. Like, you know, yeah. actually debate someone who's got a grasp of, of the issues. And so there's this whole backstory about they were meant to debate at some Politicon or whatever. And then. Uh, Stephen Crowder pulled out and so Sam Seed has been like chasing, chasing, chasing but Stephen Crowder keeps ducking him. Again, it's like the professional wrestling. He wants a shot at the belt. He wants a shot <laughs> at the exactly. belt. Exactly. He wants a shot at so the So anyway, this third party, this third party YouTuber comes in called Ezra, uh, I think his name's Ezra or something or another and he um, uh, challenged Stephen Crowder to debate and Stephen Crowder's like, great, because this guy's an idiot, I'll, I'll beat him. And so mm. as they start the debate, they cut to a live feed and it's fucking Sam Cedar. So if it was the <laughs> wrestling, they play his music and he comes down the ramp, right? 
So I got so in, this went for weeks and then it wasn't just like that event. Then there was the analysis because then every YouTuber yeah. around that is giving oh, their God. take on who won. And then there was this kind of what are, what, what are the ethics of like chicking someone into a debate. And I got so into this and then it's like I woke up from a fucking nightmare one night where I was like, who cares? Like, why yeah. am I into this? You woke this? up from your AstraZeneca fever dream. <laughs> yeah, totally. And you were just like, oh, my God, I've been in a hole. It's funny as well on, on like, Twitter and these people, you know, you, you get everyone so wound up at the moment that there's a lot of heel turns as well, it seems like, on Twitter. It's like someone who's always, you know, been on one line, they say one thing or yeah. um, push something a little bit too far and it is pile on. It is brutal and it's you know it's both sides that do it i mean it all feels very confused and muddled up at the moment so have you ever yeah, it's a bit gross i'm trying to i'm trying to just keep that stuff have you ever you can go deep into it deleted a tweet have you ever posted something for fear of that happening where you've posted something and gone it's a great question i think i went back through like old tweets because i was tweeting back when i was doing like you know, Assange and stuff like that. And so I was like, oh, I wonder what I posted back then. Because you know who's got a good, was- too good? The gays. <laughs> like, <"What?" laughs> yeah. yeah, but it was like, I was going back through that kind of yeah. stuff and going, you know, but there was nothing, there was nothing there that I, I didn't agree with. But um, yeah, I definitely, definitely have a look. I think, I think you should, like any kind of person who, who is self-critical knows that, and and grew up and went to high school knows that they said some oh bad stuff and have done some bad things and have bullied people and have done all these things that they're not proud of. It's, I mean, how do you grow if you don't do that? We're not born perfect. Imagine um, having a digital footprint of all the shit you said and thought when you were a teenager. Oh, oh horrific. My God. Horrific. Like, I just, yeah, I, you know, and you should feel guilty about it and you know that's you're trying to become a better person Uh, anyway so yes i have gone through and i've checked my tweets um yeah so deleted all my alt-right stuff uh, (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think i only ever had in recent memory i've only ever had one person like pull me up on something i said it was actually an episode of Two guys, one cup. I, uh, not with Will. I think Michael Chamberlain was filling in for Will, and I made some. It was a, it was a sexist joke, I guess. It wasn't like mm. the worst, but it wasn't my best. And this woman messaged me, and she was really upset. Um, you know, fan of the show, and was like, "That just was lazy." And it was funny because yeah. I hadn't really thought of it at the time. It was kind of one of those things where, like you say, you know, when you're a teenager you just say and 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 think some horrible things and i think it was kind Mm. of like residue from that and so i was very quick to just like yeah you're right i'm 100 percent alone then i apologize i wasn't thinking i'll take it out of the episode so i just got it cut out but it was kind of it, it made me sort of realize that you know that stuff it's not like you say no one's born perfect but at the same time uh you know you're going you've got to have the ability to change as well to kind of recognize a mistake. I think sometimes, you know, we don't get a lot of criticisms or, you know, personally I don't get that many, but when I do. So you haven't been getting my emails. (laughs) Not yet. No, go straight to my junk mail. Um, You know, your back can get up or your nose gets out of joint, you know, about people will often pull you up on, are you using exclusionary language or right? um, like, I think Will and I did a bit uh, where, it was like a, someone had written in 
and they had like a it was a non-gender specific name and we said oh he or she he or she and that was just a bit we were doing not really thinking about it and someone emailed in to say hey you're being very binary and you're thinking and it was kind of tiresome blah 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 and initially i was like oh come on like that wasn't our intent like if you're listening to what Mm. we were saying we weren't trying to exclude but then it was like taking a deep breath i was like all right but this is probably a perspective i haven't had to consider that much you know and so again it was one of those things where i just sort of took it on board and was like all right yeah yeah you're you're probably right um you know i think that it's all a it's about intent really isn't it like if you if you can sort of tell where it's coming from because otherwise like your parents and your grandparents, and, you know, your uncles oh, mate, and stuff. no clue. I mean, try going to your, you know, ev- I mean, I'm sure everyone deals with it now, but, you know, you go to your grandparents for, for Christmas and you're just going, uh, you know, start a counter. You know, there's going to be, it's just going to be constant. <laughs> oh, and you're from so, WA as well. So oh, like, 100%. Oh, put, put an extra yeah, 50 years like, on that. <laughs> I just think, you know, bring it back to the acting thing, but I remember when I, you know, went to drama school, the, the first thing you had to learn was how to take a note. Yeah, and right. and and it's like don't get don't take it personally. Yeah. It's not an attack on you. It's a performance and you go, okay, that note's there. They're seeing it. They're telling it to you. Don't get angry about it. Just learn to fix it. Just take the note, listen and and try and do better next time. I think you know, if you can do that and that's my philosophy episode. <laughs> <There you laughs> that's go. good. Take, take the note. Take the note. Yeah. I'm done. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> It's funny. I remember I was working in a, a TV show once and um, it was quite an elaborate setup, like a lot of moving parts with like a boat was leaving a dock and we had like a crane and a mm. drone. There's a lot going on. And I can't remember the exact mechanics of the scene, but like, you know, there's four of us in the scene. We're running to catch this boat. The boat's leaving. The captain's like, hang on, slow down. And they throw a ramp down. One of the guys says a line and we jump on. And the actor who had to throw the line before we jumped on, like we saw running down, everything's going and he flubbed it. And rather than just sort of carry on, he stopped. <laughs> like he actually oh, no. stopped everything and sort of like <laughs> stood there and we we're like trying to like get him on. And he's like, no. And so like to reset, that was like 20 minutes. Yeah. Got to get the, turn the boat around, bring it back in, reset the drone. And the director <laughs> came down and he was really diplomatic about it. And he was like, Hey, look, um, why did you, did you hear me call cut? And he was like, no, but I flubbed my line. It's like, yeah, I get that. But if, unless you hear me call cut, just assume that everything's fine and we'll, we'll keep going. And he's like, yeah, but you know, uh, you know, I did, it didn't make any sense if I don't say the line. And he's like, yeah, here's a little tip. We didn't even have a camera on you. <laughs> like yeah. we, were, we were shooting the wide, we're covering this, we're covering that. And so it was like a perfect opportunity, you know, to be an Alex Williams and go, okay, I'll take your note. Great. Take it on board. But, I guess he was no. embarrassed yeah. or he felt like he was being challenged, his, his masculinity. And so he doubled down and was like, well, no, that's, you know, my performance. And the director was just like, he sort of, he sort of like, I, I could see him, you know, thinking, okay, well, we can get into it, but then there's too much to do. All right, look, we'll just go again. And then at lunch, we were back in the trailer and, the director, again, very diplomatically knocked on the door, sought out the actor to say, hey, look, I feel like there's a bit of tension. I just want to explain, blah, blah, blah. You know, maybe you're not experienced, you know, doing shots like this, but this is what was going on. And again, fucking He out. took that as a, an yeah, assault as well. Front, not again, experienced. I've been working in this industry for 20 years. He hadn't, years, by man. the way. I think oh, it was right. his first or second <laughs> job. But it was interesting because it is a mindset, isn't it? Like it's that thing of, 
It's it, it's all ego, really. Yeah, pride, pride. Yeah, it's a big one. I mean, I'm so yeah. willing to admit fault <laughs> in any situation. Oh, I've probably got the opposite of of whatever that is. Yeah, yeah. Stop, stop. It's fine. It's fine, Charlie. Just, it's fine. Stop apologising. <laughs> stop the scene. Stop, stop the scene. The cameras are off. Everyone's gone home, mate. <laughs> Can I ask, um, you know, because Julian Assange is, is never far from the news. Because you played him, like I, I often, I've never played a, a, a real life person before, but I mm. often hear actors talk about, you know, wanting to do right by the person they're portraying or honour them or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Do you feel like an affinity with Julian Assange? Like, are you empathetic to what he's going through more so than, you know, a, a casual observer? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think I've played a lot of real people. I think that basically the first five years of my acting career was, you know, playing a certain teenager or early 20s guy um, in Australia in the 80s. You know, that was just like, <laughs> was that in excess, the Ivan Milan? You do you have know. an 80s look. I mean, I, I can't I've quite... got an 80s vibe as well if, in person. <laughs> <laughs> you do. I, don't, I can't know what it is, though. Like, you, now it, it's a bit, a bit Andrew Spader. It's a bit Andrew McCarthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, you kind of got... You do have an, a very 80s vibe. Yeah. Yeah, but you do. I mean, it's different when you meet them, I think. Like, I met Kirk, and really, I don't think I look anything like him and you know that was almost more of a character he's more kind of ticky and and interesting while while the julian stuff i didn't meet him so you know it was it was just watching videos of this guy who was really interesting and deep diving and and reading everything about him and and you do well you get an affinity with the them that you create in your head right it's your Um, idea but having not met him um, it's difficult. I think politically, it's it's a he's a super device, divisive person. You know, you don't at say. the time he was divisive. <laughs> Julian Assange. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like I don't disagree with a lot of the stuff he does. I think the way he's been treated has been pretty horrific. I, I, yeah, I think if he was if he'd just called himself a journalist, it would have been very very different. But you know, I think those are the sort of I, you can't. You know, people won't let you sit on the fence. I think there's some great stuff he's done. I think there's some stuff that he has done that isn't so great. And I think a lot of it has to do with the way he, you know, talks and approaches. And he's a bit different. He's a bit of a different cat. And um, a lot of people don't like that. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I definitely, definitely feel like I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. I mean, mm. I, I, I honestly, recently, I have, I haven't been keeping up. It's just constant. Um, so yeah. yeah, and it's also hard to know what to believe. Like, there's so many vested interests, especially like in the mainstream media. Like he, because of the service he provides, and you know, he's essentially like a, a, a challenger to a rival to the status quo when it comes to information gathering and reporting. So. I'm always like, well, how are they, what, what prism are they putting this story in? I mean, it, it sort of comes back to what we're saying about, you know, all the shit you consume online. Like I, I, I feel like I've got a good bullshit detector, but by the same token, I don't, I'm not researching any of these topics Mm. heavily. I'm taking it on face value that because I trust this person's opinion and they recommend this person, you know, therefore I will trust that person's opinion too. But you know, it's this it, with this whole vaccine debate. Like, I'm starting to find I've got a, a couple of people I know who are sort of 
anti-vaxxers suspicious about the vaccine. Mm. Um, I mean, they wouldn't call themselves anti-vaxxers. I think they see themselves more as like, I don't know what the word is, but um, uh, medical. Just skeptical. Yeah, right. or just like they 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 don't, they, they're fearful of medical, what they seem as intrusive yeah. medical yeah. interference, yeah. you know. Did um, you watch The Loudest Voice? on? Was that the Russell Crowe? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I found that really interesting because just because it is, you know, along the lines of news media and um, talking about like bringing some, you know, showbiz who, to the news. Well, yeah, and just who, how we talk about people and, and how much you can push out there and how mm. much that just sways public opinion, and so it does just become this, you know, this pylon. Um, and if you hit them in the right spots, um, you you know you're gonna basically take someone's credibility away from them yeah. and um, you can basically destroy anyone. doesn't matter how valid their argument is. Well, there's um, a great book you might be interested in by Matt Tabibi. I always get his name wrong. It's either Taibi or Tabibi uh, called Hate Inc., which is basically um, an analysis of kind of mainstream media on both sides of the political spectrum. So, you know, mm. your CNNs and your Fox Newsers and the idea that it is – you know, they have heavily market researched what motivates their viewers and what keeps them engaged, and it is conflict, you know. Mm. And so if you are on the left, it's like, isn't Donald Trump a monster and aren't these like anti-vaxxers morons and blah, blah, blah. And if you're on the right, it's look at these bleeding heart liberals and isn't Extinction Rebellion a waste of time? And and it's so true, like, it, it, especially in Australia too, where Murdoch owns such a large chunk. Oh, and so you, you really sort of feel like you've got either the mainstream Murdoch press or, you know, the Packers, and then you have the ABC, and then you have like these smaller kind of independent, you know, your crikeys and whatever. But it's such a, like a, apart from the ABC, which I feel is probably the most non-partisan, but there's still obviously, you know, some kind of, Leaning yeah, I think right wingers wouldn't agree with that, but yeah, exactly. no, they wouldn't at all. And and I can sort of you can sort of see that, but I often think about that argument where they're like, oh, it's left leaning, and I'm like, but it's are they left? <laughs> are they left leaning, or are they no. more objective? And objectively, yeah. people lean more to the left, like because I think you know when they do polling on a lot of kind of um, socialist issues, like what people want in terms of like healthcare and education and stuff, they are people do majority tend to lean to the left just at least in australia i can't really speak to you know the states or anything like that but i for i just feel like rupert murdoch or you know i mean it's probably now uh, lachlan more than rupert but you know their biggest rival is the abc like in terms Mm. of a news source and if you want the eyeballs of um you know a nation you have to take out like you know, the government-backed media organization. It makes most amount of sense. So that's when you just constantly sow all this discord and distrust of especially, you know, um, Labor politicians, but, you know, the Green politicians. But it's so – but it's also so performative. Like, if you look at Sky News After Dark and all those fucking – more. <laughs> Oh that, they, that they bring out on that show. I saw an ad today. I saw an ad today and it was like, what really happened in Wuhan? Oh, yeah, yeah, and I was going, what did happen, guys? You've got no idea. You're just making it up. 
Oh, it's, and you just know it's just this fear mongering that 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 you know is just sells used to sell papers now sells um sells ads and and click time and and furthers their agenda. Oh, man. Have you had any you mates know, fall down like that QAnon rabbit hole? No, I, yeah. no, no. Right. I've definitely I've definitely had mates. I think it's okay to be, you know, at the start like oh I don't know about getting AstraZeneca or yeah. whatever it was. Um, and I think it's, you know, do your research sort of thing, talk to your doctor, but like, um, none that have gone down that I was talking to a mate this morning, actually. And he was sort of saying he was, he went through like an, down an Instagram rabbit hole this morning. Cause you can, if you get on just, you know, if you watch one video for longer than five seconds, the they'll just feed you more of the similar sort of stuff. And you can go down these real anti-vaxxer kind oh, of, yeah. um, rabbit holes. And, and the thing is there even if it's just the protest videos or freedom protest videos or whatever it is, um, <laughs> they, it's, they, it's hard to look away because they're idiots. Like yeah. they're so, but they're big characters yeah. and it's, it becomes wrestling again. It becomes these kind of, yeah. you know, they, they're, they're all the heroes in their view and, and, and you're kind of just sitting there befuddled by them at home, you know, drinking your first coffee and yeah. you've been at but home it's, enter- it's entertaining though. It is that, it is, it is that soap opera. I like, wish it wasn't. I mean, I, I'm, I'm meant to be writing this script at the moment, you know, I've got a deadline and, and when I want to procrastinate, I just go onto Facebook and I'll go to the message board for the Northern Rivers and I'll just see what fucking madness <laughs> is getting floated there. And it, and it, and it's, it's funny because it doesn't matter what the post is. Someone might be saying, Hey, you know, um, mm. free, free mattress, uh, left it outside of, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then someone will be like, um, oh, great. You know, um, can I pick up the mattress? Uh, I'll be coming from Mullumbimby. And then that person will be like, mum and Mullumbimby full of hippies. And then that person will be like, well, at least we're not a sheeple. And then bang, it's off. And then you're just oh, the like, sheeple. whoa. We talk- yeah, the sheeple, the sheeple thing is you you are the sheep if you're saying sheeple. That's the beautiful thing about that. I am, um, yeah, fuck. <laughs> it just makes me feel real gross, that stuff. But you can go down these rabbit holes. And I think it's... It's sort of exhilarating, as you were saying before on Twitter, like that live people live streaming and yeah. the things, and and I I just I mean I just wish they were doing it for the right stuff. It's it, you know it sucks, but it's always going to happen, and and the percentage is super low. So um, it's just that as I was talking about the loudest voice. It's like yeah. well, you can have a pretty loud voice if you carve out your little audience on Instagram lives, and those algorithms will pump it, yeah. and um, you end up you know like me with my you know, following some NBA card break, if it's on your feed for long enough mm. and you kind of consume enough of it, um, I worry that that stuff just seeps seeps in somehow. And and Definitely. you know, obviously, you're not gonna. I'm. It's not gonna be me going. Oh, I think I will get out there and uh, take Ooh. the mask off and sneeze in people's faces. But I think it. You know, like it's it's interesting. You almost need to cultivate a a feed of people that you follow that kind of aligns with how you think. But then you get done for having, you know, just just being within your bubble and and not understanding the world at large, and and that's interesting as well. Well, it, it's funny, like you know, a, a lot of people on the left like to sort of take the high moral ground, you know, and I would never believe in conspiracies and blah blah blah. But you know, the way the left lost their mind over Russia Gate, you know, when yeah. the evidence was turned in, it's like, look, we're not saying he's not dodgy, and we're not saying that you know he took a lot of questionable meetings, but the idea that he was some sleeper agent for Russia or, you know, deeply in debt with the Russian mob and, you know, they were pulling the strings. Like the evidence just wasn't there. But that fervor around Russiagate 
was all like a left-wing fantasy mm. like you know people desperately wanted that to be true like when the Mueller Mueller report came out like people were like taking the day off work so oh, they yeah. could watch it it's like so you do have an understanding of how someone's going to be like you know Dr Fauci and Bill Gates are conspiring to put microchips in our brain i remember meeting one guy like unrelated to those topics but meeting a, a full on conspiracy nut um Trevor and i went to the pub one night in sydney and just offhand saw this amazing like um they were kind of like a surf rock kind of 70s surf rock band but they all looked like slobs they're just like these middle-aged dudes in like tracky dacks and oversized t-shirts but just playing Give me 20 years i'll do a telly movie about them mate <laughs> yeah just playing the most awesome music and one of the guys um he stood out from the rest because the other guys all looked like they're in tenacious d but this dude was in like <laughs> skin tight black jeans he looked like a ramon he had like the bob hair and the leather jacket and he's doing the wide leg stance and he's playing his guitar and so in their break i was just having a chat to him i think we went outside for a cigarette or something and uh, we just started talking about the beatles you know talking about music and he was like oh, yeah, you know, like, it's just so crazy, like, the biggest band in the world. But, you know, they were so easily able to cover up Paul McCartney dying and no one, mm. no one pulled him up on it. And I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> and they're like, mm. he's like, yeah, Paul McCartney died um, uh, in between Sergeant Peppers and, and Abbey Road. And I'm like, Paul McCartney, the, the Paul McCartney who's Stella McCartney's dad is alive now, Paul McCartney? And he's yeah. like, that's not... Paul McCartney. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And so he told me this entire story about William Campbell. And this is like, you can find this online. Like it, it is an urban yeah, myth. Yeah, everyone. Oh, you, you yeah. So you've heard that. All right. So you've heard oh, that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Paul died. The Beatles, um, M- MI6 come to the Beatles and say, hey, we're terrified that if this gets out, there's going to be a rash of teenage, teenage girls committing suicide. So we want to install um, Paul and you can finish your next album, Abbey Road, and then, um, but you're done. The Beatles are done after that. And so the Beatles are like, yeah, yeah, we know, for Queen and Country. for the, We'll do it for the teenage girls oh of the world. God. But then William Campbell got ahead of himself and started to like all the attention and stuff. And so he refused. The plan was he was meant to, like, take his money and go into, like, anonymity, but he didn't. <laughs> he formed wings. <laughs> it's like, this guy's telling me this entire story. And I'm like, the whole time, I'm like, yeah, but this but that and he's like boom and he's batting him away so easily yeah and then i said to him what's your primary source of information on this and he said oh there's this documentary called paul mccartney is not dead and i'm like right and so as he's talking i get out my phone i look up paul mccartney is not dead and it's on imdb and it mm. says quite clearly mockumentary <laughs> oh, no. and so he's talking and i'm reading this and i'm and i'm looking at him and i'm like so if I show this to him, does his brain snap in half? <laughs> like, or does he collapse or something like that? He just says fake news and moves on. There was a similar thing with um with Avril Lavigne. There was a right. kind of conspiracy theory that she was replaced by a model, um, and that's oh. why her, you know, because they didn't want all those skater boys to, um, you know, off themselves as well. Well, I didn't realize they dusted it off for a new yeah, generation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they've done it again. Um, yeah, and that's why her music sort of changed and she looks different. I was like, oh, yeah, people don't age. There's no yeah, problem there. Yeah, plastic But, surgery. yeah, there was a big Avril Lavigne one as well, which I remember, you know, um, being a big big thing that was very similar. Well, I think there was – wasn't – again, that was a Donald Trump rumor was that fake Melania's, that he had Melania impersonators. That wasn't always Melania <laughs> by his side. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, I don't a know. Lot of effort. To what end? <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> why? Like, I mean, why do you need a, a fake Melania? Um, 
Yeah, but that stuff is I, I I've had a couple of friends who have sort of well, I've got one friend in particular who I didn't see, but he's now like way, way, way like gone down the rabbit hole. And like I don't even know where it sort of started. Like when we first met fifteen years ago, like he was the most happy go lucky. Now he was such a kind of like um, you know, he was a life of the party, great fun. And then I don't know what happened. But he started to sort of like retreat. It was weird. It was it was like it wasn't like a quick thing. But I just mm. noticed that he was getting sort of more and more withdrawn. And I don't know if there were drugs involved. I suspect that maybe there were. Like there perhaps was, there was some kind of like I don't know if he was like I don't know if it was like hard drugs or if it was just like smoking a lot of weed or whatever it is. But. It just, he became so insular. It was like junky behavior. And then mm. I remember like the last kind of big conversation we had, like he was doing the red string. It's all oh, connected, wow. you know, yeah, wow. shit. And then I did sort of think about it. It did, a lot of it had coincided with him doing therapy. And I think that, you know, therapy had brought up a lot of kind of really painful stuff for him. And, you know, my experience of doing therapy is that, yeah, it does bring up painful stuff, but then the responsibility kind of falls upon you to then take ownership of that and, you know, find a, a constructive yeah. or healthy way forward. The flip side of that <laughs> is you can take no ownership <laughs> of that and blame the giant lizard people. Uh, yeah, well, it the is mostly their fault. Yeah. Um, it is interesting, like, I, again, going back to that that time when I was doing the Assange stuff, because that's probably my most... Um, Paranoid. Uh you know, closest to that kind of area of, you know, once people get into the understanding what you can do and what you can hack and what you can find out, you do, you go, oh, okay, this, it's very, you're very able to do a lot of these things. And it, most of it's about sort of government surveillance and all that kind of jazz. Um, and, you, you know, it's, they're very, it's very capable. They're very capable of doing it. So you go, okay, yeah. And once you sort of peel one layer I kind of stopped there and I went, okay, yeah, but they don't. They probably don't. Or they do for the right things. Um, but the distrust and the mistrust in in kind of government and this higher purpose, I think it's also about kind of needing there to be something A cause. bigger and more fun and more interesting, Yeah, especially if you're not religious, I think, yeah. um, you know, and and maybe it's just not enough to be like, I live, I die, I you know, I oh, you guess I, I live again. <laughs> That's the uh, isn't that the uh, yeah, the war boys in Mad Max Fury Road? I live, I die, I live again. <laughs> That's their motto, right? <laughs> what yeah, a lovely I'm day. To the earth. I spray the I spray <laughs> the chrome, chrome on, yeah. and I'm going. Hey, I had a question for you. Yeah. Bringing up Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, this was a uh, this is my thinking faux fop thinking. If yeah. you could be in any film, you could take any role from any film to be oh. in. In history, yeah. So, so first it'll be any film, and then the next one will do any like franchise that's coming up. But yeah. any film that's already been, mm. what what would you one? I mean, film, it's an interesting question, role. isn't it? Because you're sort of looking at it from two. One, you're a fan, and it's like, oh, you know, I love this franchise. And then the mm. other side is like, well, how much money can I make? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, oh my god, imagine what it'd be like to be directed by this guy or to work with that cast. Um, I don't know. I mean, look, I think the Mad Max films, I had a lot of friends who worked on Fury Road, like stuntmen mm. and stuff. And 
depending on what department you worked in, it sounds like the greatest experience or the worst experience, like just incredible. I mean, all the stunt guys I know, it was hog heaven. Like they loved it because- oh, loving it. Yeah. Like George is like, yeah, you know, here's six months to work out how to do the polecat sequence or whatever and just, just mm-hmm. go crazy. Um, but, you know, then the reality of being out in the desert for six months would suck. I, I mean, I think- that's a good question. Uh, do you have? Well, let me think about it. Do you have one? Is there a role that you like? If you could replace any actor, what would it be? Yeah, I guess you would go. Okay, well, wh- why am I doing it? Um, and you know, you could take kind of the juiciest roles, but I think I just want to have a fun experience yeah. and be in a good film. And my, one of my favorite sort of guilty pleasure films. It's not even a guilty pleasure film. Is Scott Pilgrim versus the World? Oh, yeah, and right. I just love that film. And and at a time in my life when I was about that age. I just think it would have been so much fun to shoot that. Um, Edgar Wright is also just an incredible director. I just and it was commercial flop, flop at the time yeah. it came out. But I reckon that I'd I'd love to, you know, you'd love to kind of have that sitting there. I mean, it's not it's not like a masterpiece, but in no, that, it's not. In, it's no, not, no, no. Not so I'm not talking about your film. I'm just thinking about a film like in terms of a film that I just watch and I think, God, that must have been so much fun. Step Brothers. Like the idea (laughs) of a completely ad-libbed movie where you've just got a director like calling out, say it like this, do this, this is your objective, and you just have to 100% commit. I mean, I don't know if I'm even good enough or capable enough to do it, but Mm. I mean, I I think that I do watch that film and I watch the bloopers from that and I'm like, oh my God, it must have been amazing to be on set because there was no script and it was like any stupid idea they got, let's just follow this and see where it goes. Cause I think that was the genesis of that film was they had done like Anchorman, which was mostly scripted with bits of ad lib. And then Adam McKay was like, well, let's just see if we can, I mean, they got fucking, the fact that they got money to make it is just, just blows my mind. But I think something like that, like maybe not necessarily Step Brothers, but I do, or maybe a Christopher Guest film would be amazing. You know, like Waiting for Guffman or Best in yeah. Show or, or something like that. Like I've, I haven't. Act, I mean, I say this as someone who's done very little improv, but I think. <laughs> yeah, but back yourself. Back, <laughs> back yourself. myself. I think I'd like it. I think. I. I mean, I, I often. I'm actually the opposite. Where I'll watch a movie and just be like, I could never do that. Like you know, I, right. that, that that person has just completely mastered a Brooklyn accent. I could never do that. That person has taught themselves <laughs> how to box. I could never do that. And then yeah. I often forget that. You know, they're not working in home and away conditions where they've got like a week to prepare. No. Like, they've normally had a year to kind of like get themselves right to prepare for this role. I don't like I people talk about their home and away experience. And my girlfriend did home and away for like five years when she was a kid growing up on it. And um, and it sounds so hard. Like <laughs> I like, you know, I, the one I, you know, I love acting, but I, well, I hate learning lines and I'm terrible at it. It takes me forever. You know, you get these nine page auditions for us things all the time and you've got, you know, two days to learn it. And, and most of that time for me is just, just trying to learn the lines in time before you can actually really get into the good stuff. You know, Hmm. I'm constantly asking for extensions so that the works better, but like to get on home and away when it's just, you're just pumping it out so quickly I mean, it's great. I think it's a great sort of training tool as well for young actors. And also it's just great for fitness. I mean, yeah. no wonder so many people go on from that show to have big careers. Um, Cause I think it just sets you up 
for success. I think it is like a, it's definitely like a good it's a good muscle. Like anything though, you do it for too long and you can get into a certain like I, yeah. I found that while it did make me better at learning lines and stuff, it kind of because you're so used to moving so quickly that you sometimes when you get an audition, you will brush over yeah, good yeah. stuff because yeah. you're like, well, I need to just, it, you know, this is a love scene, so I need to get to the bit where I say I love you. And you're yeah. missing all the good stuff in between. Um, I remember and it's talking- a rhythm thing as well, isn't it? It's Because yeah. it, the show has a certain, I, I haven't watched it for a while, but it has a certain rhythm and you're driving very quickly usually to the through through to the end I of mean, I, I think I almost talk. did five years as well. But by the time I got to my third or fourth year, because also the stories are quite, cyclical and repetitive like you know yeah. if you're playing because my role in the show was you know i was the the dad figure and so you know they're just cycling lost teenagers through my foster care you know and so you're doing every two or three years you're doing pretty much the same storyline you know bad boy goes wow. missing and blah, blah, blah. and i started to realize oh i can guess where this scene's going i, I don't even really need to learn my line so i think the first mm-hmm. three years yeah you are learning but then, like with the, the the super veterans like Lynn and Ada and, and Ray and Georgie, I mean, they just they they could tell you where the scene's going. They they don't really <laughs> need to look at the lines because they've done this a bazillion times, and more often than not, they're given the freedom to do it. And that's the other great thing about Home and Away. And I, I mean, I, I say this as someone who got hauled in front of the script producer and told off, uh, because when I started, I was I was like. Oh, this is reminds me a little bit of doing kind of like co-op theater where everyone's got to pull their weight because you're moving yep. so quick and you know, so you get this script that was written in four weeks and then you've got a week to rehearse it and then bang, you're on set. And so, you know, there is this kind of unspoken thing where it's like, well, the actors, you've got to pull your weight and the director's got to pull their weight and you're all going to lift this thing up. And mm. so if you want to change a line and it's better, then you can go for it. If you've got an idea about your character that and make improves them, go for it because they're not, like when you go into this show, you're not really, they don't, they haven't even really had time to create like a really well-rounded character. They have an archetype and then they ask you to, to color Fill it in. in. And so yep. the more you can bring to it, oh, so you can be funny. Great. Now he, he's funny. So, you know, you can do action. Here, wear this hat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're the hat guy. <laughs> but I, I did sort of, um, I think I did sort of tread on some toes because, you know, I'm a writer as well. And so I started kind of getting scripts and rewriting them. Mm. Still ending up at the same conclusion as what the original intent was, but just, you know, I would, I think if I was a better actor, I'd just be able to take the lines and do them. Like Ada never changed anything. She's just a hundred percent commits and she pulls it off every time. She's amazing. Whereas Mm. I'd be like, Oh, if they just, you know, if they just change this line, it'd be so much better. If you just said like, you know, this blah, blah, blah. And I'd spend like all this time agonizing and, I did put a few noses out of joint. It was all fine. In I mean, I end. prefer that as as a director and a producer is to you know have someone who's doing the work. I mean, good actors go away; they do the work and they bring they bring options and they bring sort of ideas. Hopefully, earlier rather than later. I guess the issue on something like Home and Away is you've you know you don't have that time to kind of rescript and redraft and 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 so much of it. I, I'm guessing is you know you're blocking on set right before the scene and then you do it and yeah. then you, you move on. Well, it's like, well, well, this was actually, it was actually a rehearsal where me, the other, the actress I was working with and the director, I just could not get my head around this scene and I couldn't work out. Are we saying we love each other? Or are we saying we're, you know, we're not, we're breaking up, whatever it is. And so 
you know, still arriving at the same endpoint. We just reworded it till so right. it was like so it was it felt more consistent and coherent. And then I said to the director, "Take this. Can you show this to the script producer and just get sign off?" Because I wanted to, you know, do it correctly. But that was taken the wrong way. That was taken as I, I was I got hauled in front of the producers and go do this. Yeah, and I was and told come back I, with a double shot latte. As I, well, while I, you're I, I was told that um, yeah, I was told that that's not my job, and that you know if I had issues, oh, okay. I should bring it up with them. And it's like, well, I thought that's what I was doing by sending it to you. I mean, I, th- I to be honest, I think it was more of a. Well, I know for a fact it was a personality thing that this person right. did not like me. <laughs> like yeah. started off liking me, and then. Pretty soon, like they they had a certain view of masculinity, a certain <laughs> narrow view of what cons- uh, constituted masculinity, and I did not fit that. <laughs> I was not considered Mate, a masculine. Speaking about that, currently because you've got this blurred background and yeah. uh, a microphone, it keeps blurring the microphone in right. front of your head. Oh, yeah. It does. It does look um, phallic. No. Yeah, just because it's blurred out at certain times. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't be bringing this up, but it does sort of reminiscent of some things I saw as a teenager um, on, on some sites. Well, I hope you've <laughs> taken no screen grabs of me holding some cylindrical shape that's blurred out right in front of my Yeah, open, you're just sort of holding it up right mouth. there as well. It's, it's um, Yeah, no, it's some really good work from the blurring uh, Zoom call. I love it. <laughs> do you so, do a lot of do you do a lot of voice work as well? Do you, um, do you get not into a that lot? Stuff? Like I I I did do some last year, and then yeah. I I like like yourself. I tried to get um, a voice agent. I tried really hard. Um, yeah, my hard. I mean my acting agent, my theatrical agent does do voice, but they're not like a dedicated voice agent. Yeah. They can negotiate, but th- with their blessing, I went and sounded out all the big agencies. But I just. The feedback was always the same, which is like, we've got you, we've got you, and yeah. we can't yeah. even get enough work for the use that we have. Which yeah, I it's, get. It's tough. It's tough. I, I I had the same thing. It took me a year of going like, uh, put down a reel, send it off, um, get nothing. Sometimes they don't even reply, and then sort of adding another the video reel, and then I did an animation. So I added. So I had like three reels going, and the the big three, and two would say no, and then finally kind of got a meeting and. And got with them, and um, early on, I I kind of had a I've, I've been loving your stories recently of of this sort of your gaffes um, <laughs> on on Tofop of chasing your phone around the country, but I I kind of had one early on. I um <laughs> I uh, I kind of I did this BMW ad. It was like my first kind of voiceover, and it was only because one it. of their other guys was sick, throwing up out the side of his car. Brilliant! And they were like, "Can you get to Red, you know, Redfern at this time, like in half an hour?" I was like, "Yep." Can you I'm white going. ant this dude, you scumbag? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. The scabs just waiting on the side. Yeah, come on, give it to me, give it to me, give me that voice. Anyway, so I go and do this bit, this BMW ad, and it's you know, it's a very, um, the world is blah blah blah. Anyway, um, I get a call from my voice agent being like, oh, some, some people heard your, at a big channel, heard your um, voice and they've been calling around trying to find who this voice is and they want you to come in to, to, to audition to be the next like voice of the network, which is a great job oh, to get great, because yeah. it's sort of like an hour or two a, uh, a week and you do a bunch of stuff and it's, it's quite well paid. So I was kind of going, um, you know, they were building it up going, oh, this never happens straight away. You know, you're really lucky. You're only kind of a two weeks in. And anyway, so I was like a little bit nervous and it was just, 
just as COVID hit. And so people were, or maybe it was a little bit after the first lockdown. I can't remember exactly where it was. There weren't QR codes. I remember that. That's that time stamped it for me. But um, I was a little bit nervous. So I went to the Channel 7 building and I was like, okay, um, you know, just get uh, doing a little kind of lap of the lap of the place going, okay, just, you know, you haven't done a lot of voice work, but just be like super prepared and just on your game and doing your voice warm up and stuff. Anyway, so I'm walking around the car. Giga, 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 go. And uh, I'm I'm sort of walking around the gardens, and and then the the audio engineer comes down and, and meets me, and there's like no one else in the building, and he's like, "Yeah, how are you going?" I'm like, "I'm good, mate." Anyway, we jump in the elevator, and we're going up, and I'm like, "Oh, this this um elevator stinks, um, <laughs> like real bad." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, whatever. It's probably just the elevator. Like someone's probably just dropped a dropped a bomb and and bailed." And anyway, so we walk in and not just hey, so much was on the line. Did you say out loud or you thinking it? No, 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 no. All right. <laughs> just go, hey, mate, this elevator stinks. Right, okay. Sorry. No, because I instantly was like, oh, I don't know if it's this guy yeah, or it's yeah, this thing. Yeah. Anyway, so we get into the, to the, the area, the studio. And so there's the booth next to it and then there's the studio. And we're sitting in the studio and he passes me the thing. And they haven't told me what the gig is for, right? right. They were like, you know, it's big, but we can't say what it is and blah, blah, blah. And. Um, and anyway, I get the scripts and it's just all of, you know, it's just the whole channel. So it's, uh, they're looking for a new voice or whatever, a younger voice. And I'm like, great, great. Okay. So I'm running through these things and I'm, he's like, yeah, just run through them. Our, our main producer will come through and, and, and you'll meet him in a bit, in about five minutes. He's, he's a few minutes away. I was like, okay, great. So I'm going through these things. And I'm like, oh, I've got a pretty sensitive nose anyway, but I'm like, this guy has shit himself. Like, it can only be, it was that kind of weird, like, shit. Oh, God. But, like, Pungent. you know when, like, a dog eats, like, vomit or something? Like, it had that vomity bile yeah. smell. Diarrhea. And I was like, look, it has been lockdown. It's probably, you know, it might have been out of house. But I'm kind of looking at him going, like, hmm, I don't want him to think it's me. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. I'm going, like, this guy, he's, like, he's shit himself. Um, or, or hasn't changed his pants in two weeks or something. <laughs> anyway, he's like, oh, the, the producer's one minute away. I'm like, oh, great, great. And then um, I'm like going through the scripts and then I look down and I realise that I have stepped in like the largest dog shit <laughs> like I've ever seen. It's halfway up my leg because I do this, I've got this nervous twitch where I kick, I kick oh. the back of my calves. <laughs> So it's all over the inside of my jeans. This job's worth like more money than I've ever made in my life, like ever. <laughs> anyway, I notice it. I'm like, the producer just walks into the door. I don't know what to do. I panic. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I don't. I, I just go, hey mate, I'm just going to jump straight in the booth, right? I never do that stuff. I'd you know sit down and have a chat, but I'm like, I'm just going to jump straight in the booth because I'm then thinking. Oh, he's been thinking, the, the audio guy's been thinking that I've shit myself. I'm thinking he's shit himself. Anyway, so I jump in the booth. And Hang on, before, booth... Just before, wouldn't the first conclusion you jump to is maybe I've stepped in something? Like, how come you, you would went think, from you would this think. elevator stinks to this guy shat himself? Like, well, because, the... because it's, it, only, it only started to smell 
in the elevator and that's when I met him. So I guess right. I made that connection okay. that, okay. okay you hadn't smelt it on the way into the building or anything. Hadn't like that, noticed right? it, yeah. even though if I'd stepped in the dog shit that big, I would, would have slid like two meters. <laughs> it, it was humongous. I was like, did the police horses come past you or something? <laughs> anyway, I jump into this booth and you know what audio booths are like. It was like half a meter by half a meter. I start oh. like dry reading. <laughs> And gagging at the same time, being like, better homes and, <laughs> better homes and gardens. Next on. Next on and they're seven. like, uh, Alex, can you do it with just a uh, slightly less deep throat, please? Thank can you. Can you sound less disgusted, please? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I walk out and I do the whole thing and, the, you know, they're relatively happy with it and nice. And I come back in and shake the guy's hand and then I'm like, I'm off. And I didn't. You know, instantly I thought to myself, what you should have done is gone, hey, guys, I've realized, just realized I've stepped in a big dog shit. Yeah, but it's... <laughs> and and I'm going to go clean it off. And then, But I didn't, in that instant, I was like, I don't, I can't yeah. be, like, I can't shame myself straight away because it puts me in, like, low, Sub- low status and weird yeah. thing. And you've also got so many things going through your head. Like, I'm oh, exactly, nervous. like, yeah. yeah, you wouldn't, and you wouldn't immediately go to that, like... You did no. the Larry David thing, which is like you took the first exit and then you're like, oh, shit, <laughs> yeah, I haven't totally. actually thought through how I get to this this next yeah. level. I mean, I, I ended w- up going back to my agency, driving back there because I had another one. And they, you know, I walked in. Obviously, I, I cleaned off this <laughs> giant shit off my jeans. It still smells, though. It's everywhere. It's in the fibers. And um, they, they come, you know, the the sort of my new agents that I've been with with this big opportunity they're like how to go how to go and I was like um so <laughs> I had to tell them the story and they were like so did you say anything I went well no and I said should I should I text him so I ended up having to kind of put this text together being like hey mate thanks for the session really appreciate it hey by the way <laughs> um I just realized that I stepped in a massive dog shit before oh, I came wow. into your studio. And then he texted me back being like, oh, mate, I didn't notice. At so all. he did shit himself. It was double. It was double. <laughs> That'd be amazing. It was double shit. Um, I, I remember I had this thing happen years ago at an audition at a callback where normally like, you know, I, these days would never happen. But when I was a younger, uh, uh, younger, more reckless actor, I went out with my mates on the weekend at the callback on oh, the Monday yeah. on a Saturday and got absolutely shit faced. And I remember, like, it was right through to Sunday, and I was really, really seedy on Sunday. And I remember, like, spewing like all like Sunday afternoon. Uh. And when I looked in the mirror, I had ruptured one of my eyeballs, like the blood vessels had popped. So one of my eyes was like red where it should have been white. And I was oh, like, no. oh my God, <laughs> what am I going to do? And so it was like a producer's, like an, an audition for the producers. They were all in there, the director and the producers. <laughs> and I remember sitting in the waiting room. And the thing is like, because when I walked into the casting agent, no one said anything. I was prepared to like, you know, hey, you know, I had a bit of a mishap over the weekend, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But because they didn't acknowledge it, like yeah. the, the receptionist didn't acknowledge it. In the waiting room, no one else said anything. And then when I walked in, no one said anything. And so that suddenly I'm like, well, if I bring it up, am I like, am I fucking like 
drawing attention yeah, yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah. Are, they, are they cool? <laughs> it's like, I just, I guess everyone was just being polite, but it, I should have just said, hey, guys. Like, that must have been in Australia, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a big difference between like auditioning in, in the States and doing meetings in the States. Like they're just so upfront. I remember I was super young when I first went over there and I remember going into a meeting, you know, not even an audition, just a meeting and having a chat. And the first thing she said to me is, wow, your pants are tight. <laughs> and they're covered in dog shit. She was like, are those jeans super tight? And I, at the time I was like, oh, you know, 21. And I just sort of went, oh, no, no, that's just how we wear them in Australia. <laughs> Not true, but they were, I mean, they were tight, but they were like just skinny jeans. Yeah. And that's the first thing she said. And the whole, whole interview, she just kept looking at my, my jeans and going, oh. so uh, is it cutting off circulation? <laughs> Not that bad. I was like, did you know that Avril Lavigne? <laughs> Alex, uh, this hour has flown by. It's been great. Thank you so much uh, for doing Fofop. Like I said, you're halfway up the Tofop tree now. Oh Only God, thing left to do is Tofop. We don't do guests, but you know, you'll do it somehow and then we can get you to, to philosophy. <laughs> uh, so just keep working on what, on that. I mean, maybe your life philosophy is uh, always admit when you've stepped in shit and it rhymes. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. yeah. I learned a lesson. I learned a lesson. I'm actually just impressed that we managed to get through a whole hour without um, talking about football. Ah, um, so I, that was a conscious good. decision on my part. I'm I probably, think, I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to get you back on two guys, one cup to do a, a season wrap of the Giants. But I thought I'd give you some time to mourn the season that that was. Yeah, man. I'll keep writing my my emails to you, and you'll get them eventually. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Cheers, mate. 